0: Hello and welcome back to An Hour with ABW. My name is Chris and I am your host once again for this ongoing summer series of ABW. Uh, If you didn't see the first one, shame on you, quite frankly, because there's nothing else to do. So you should be watching everything that anybody's putting out right now. But if you didn't, go back and have a watch. Uh, This series is basically where I have one guest, one guest only. I have one hour and one hour only. And we're just going to talk a bit of football. Some of it will be Arsenal based, some of it will be football based, some of it will be all sorts of random nonsense. But luckily for you tuning into tonight's show, it is very much about football. Of course, I need a guest in order to do this. Uh, Delighted to say, uh, my friend and indeed yours, uh, Mr. Ross Bramble is back. Ross, it's been a while, my
1: friend. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I was uh, kind of doing the mental math in my head earlier. The last time I did a podcast was the uh, the Super League. So was it was that long ago last year? Feels like
0: well, years ago. I don't have the Super League. So. It does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember all the fallout from that. Yes. Uh, for those people who may not know, Ross and I have worked together before. We did the Football Hipsters podcast, um, which it's it, it's still kind of there. We just haven't done any shows for a while because we had this thing called a pandemic, and then everybody's lives got thrown upside down. And then we could never make time to work. But um, who knows? It may come back one day or another. Um, for those people who maybe don't know you, Ross, do you want to just give people just a bit of introduction to yourself, who you support and and what your kind of interests are in the football sphere?
1: Yeah, of course. So um, I'm a Slantin fan first and foremost. So uh, not everything I'm going to know about today is is going to be of interest to all of our Arsenal fans. But uh, yeah, I'm a Slantin fan. Um, like Chris was saying, uh, when we did the Football Hipsters podcast, I basically specialised in the Championship League One or League Two, uh, the EFL in general. Uh, it, it's always been, for me, the more interesting part of football, especially the English pyramid, is uh, what's happening in the lower leagues. I've always thought the Championship is one of the best leagues in the world because it's dynamic and changes every year. Um, don't always get the same winner, don't always get the same losers, etc. Um, so many stories in the EFL as well. So many crazy moments that you just don't get anywhere else. So I covered that a lot. Um, but unfortunately, I dropped out of podcasting about I don't know, seven, eight years ago now. Uh, primarily because uh, my, well, part of because my team weren't doing as well as they used to be, and that always always makes watching football harder. Um, but yeah, I think it was around the uh, the Neymar transfer to, to PSG. that a uh, 220 million euro move. Kind of made me go, mm, is this is this what I still love about football? All this all this money and all these big transfers. So I took a step back from podcasting, but uh, I keep my hand in, and uh, I'd like to think I still have a thing or two. So. That's me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I, you, you do indeed. You would not be a guest otherwise, I promise
0: you. Um, let's let's open up a bit on and uh, let's expand a bit on, on that thought process, because it's always interesting to get your views on that. So did, for you, was it was it almost like where I guess, you know, I'm a year off being well less than a year off being 40 now, which is kind of hideous thought. But as I've got older, I will freely admit, like, you know, my interest, it, it sort of lessens a little bit. Not not the love for your club, you know, not your desire for your club to win or, you know, your interest in the game. But just certain things, you know, life gets in the way, family, job, et cetera, and, and things naturally prioritise them. But for you, you you really, because I remember when we talked on the hipsters, that name I transferred, really, it really was that thing for you, wasn't it? What was it that made you change and... How do you sort of view the modern game as we're, as we're in now with oligarchs and Russians and God knows what in control of clubs?
1: I think the other thing for me was that I've, I've always been... Let me restart that. The reason I fell in love with football in the first place was because of the, the kind of local connection you have with clubs. Um, my family was never big into football. My dad absolutely hates it. and My mum grew up in a household that quite liked football, so just kind of has a passing knowledge of what happens like with Southampton mainly. But um, it was my granddad that really got me into it. And that kind of emotional local connection... Is what i fell in love with with football the first game i ever went to was meant to be um, an under 23s game against wimbledon but um, on the day of the game it got cancelled and moved we didn't know that so we went down to the stadium to go and see it and i burst into tears because i was six seven eight years old heartbroken that i couldn't go and see my first southampton game and uh walking around the stadium crying my eyes out and uh one of the staff members at st mary said well hey i know the game's been cancelled but do you want to have a look around st mary stadium and that was one of my first big footballing memories and it was that kind of local connection it was people doing nice things for each other because they support the same club and they have the same interest and the same passion. I used to listen to the radio coverage where it would always be people who knew the club inside and out that would be talking about the club with that same passion that I had, that my granddad had, that my friends had. And then when I was starting to get into journalism in my uni degree, and then by association through stuff like the podcast we did and other writing associations I was in, I was involved with at the time, um, I started to kind of just get too, too deep in the weeds. And it wasn't, I lost that local connection. I wasn't following the local radio coverage of Southampton anymore. I wasn't going to games with my granddad because I'd be too busy writing about something or watching another game, or I had to be covering this other thing. Um, and just the longer it went on, the more I realised that the, the thing that I loved about football was was further and further away because I was covering stories like Neymar to PSG. Now I'm a Southampton fan, right? I, I don't care that millionaire moves to another millionaire club and gets paid more millions than he did at previous millionaire club. Th- that's not an interesting story to me. The the away um, the away goal rule in the Champions League completely threw me for like the first 15 20 years of my life because I just didn't follow the Champions League. I didn't have any need to. I was a Southampton fan. What's the odds of us ever getting there? So I didn't care about the Champions League. I didn't care about the you know those kinds of rules and stuff. Um and the more I got involved with it from just a just a from a journalistic angle, the more I realized that what I loved about football was getting further and further away because I was now covering, you know, countries that I I don't know the first thing about or you know player transfers that I don't know the first thing about, and you know, like I say, it's it's a millionaire's club at the top, and for me, that that's such a detachment from from what I loved about it. I loved going to League One grounds a couple of years ago when I lived in Reading. I did a tour, and I just went to random grounds. I went to the MK Don Stadium and I watched them play Oxford, and I went to Reading to watch them play Derby, I think, and I went to um, Fulham to watch them play Nottingham Forest, and you get so much more lively action, so much more passion in the stands than you do when you go to when you turn Sky on and you see Man United versus Manchester City which is meant to be this massive gigantic battle between two mega clubs and it's a boring nil-nil where the fans barely get off their feet you know that, that disconnection was what really what really threw me and the Neymar transfer was the first one where I just really went man you know what the amount of money that's being thrown around I, I don't want to be I don't want to be wading through this anymore I just want to get back to what I love about football which is Southampton primarily but the spirit of competition, the fact that you never really know what's going to happen on the weekend. I can open my phone on a Saturday at five o'clock, and I can see the Premier League scores, and I can go, "Yeah, those all make sense." Oh, Aston Villa beat Chelsea one 0 great. And then you scroll down to the Championship, and it's like, "Wow, where, where did Derby six, Blackpool four come from?" That's what I love about the EFL and the Championship, and covering it on a you know on a, on a grander scale and looking at the bigger nations. It just really disconnected me from what I loved about it, so I had to take a step back. As for the the, the development of football since then it's not like it's improved you know we've got more millionaires in bigger millionaires clubs um the saudi arabian takeover of newcastle was an absolute disgrace i'm sorry if there's any newcastle fans in the chat that are saying well if the had been taken over by Saudis, you wouldn't have a problem well i would i would unfortunately um it shouldn't have been allowed to happen we've got another billionaire club in the premier league and in a couple of years time they'll be doing exactly what mad city are doing um Eddie Howe. He's not long for this world, I don't think. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, th- the more the more football advances, the more money gets churned into it, the more it becomes six clubs fighting for the top spot and then everyone else fighting for the table scraps or just hoping to stay in the league. That's all I've really got to enjoy as a Southampton fan these days, which is why I'm still watching the EFL. you know, so...
0: Yeah, yeah, and that makes sense. And as um, Steph just put in the chat, your passion really comes across there, and it's it's good to see because, like you say, I think a lot of people feel the same way as you do. And um, there's certainly a lot of things I agree with in what you said there. How do you feel? The Deep made the put the, the point in the chat a minute ago, and he said, um, "Heywood Heath uh, Football Club," they're now the official team of Walk and Talk, which is the charity with a fight for men, uh, men's mental health. The logo is going to be on on the shirts next season. Um, naturally. I'm not a huge Harry Kane fan, but credit where credit's due. I tweeted this the other day. He he um, puts his hand in his pocket to choose or basically pays for whatever sponsor Lake Norian want as long as it's a charity on the shirt. And I think this year they're using Mind. Um, what's your... Is, does it come down to those sort of good news stories? Is that is that the only way we can have like a, a clean game, if you will, when ultimately we know football's a business, we know it's going that way, but these small stories, is this the way that we can inject some some good values
1: into clubs. I think that's the way you uh, the, the way you carry on watching football without going mad. Um being able to look down the lower leagues and seeing these these nice and even you know even at the top end of the division. So I don't want to say that no Premier League club or no Liga uh Liga club has ever done anything nice for another club, don't get me wrong. But you know, I, I think those are the things that just keep us going and remind us that, you know, the top end of football isn't all bad. But equally for every one of those, you get uh, an instance like Derby County Berry Football Club. You know, there's, there's always a trauma story somewhere in English football as well. And the reason there's a trauma story is because the money is sloshing upwards. And so we're going to take over clubs looking for a quick buck or looking to pour in 5 million, 10 million, 15 million in a transfer window to try and get a club up to the next division. It all goes wrong. Suddenly they want to bail out and the club's in, par- in free fall. So I would love to say that there's hope for the for the modern game and that things can can turn around. But I think the honest answer is the more money that there is in football, the more money will be put into football. The more lucrative yeah. we can make it, the more people will want a slice of that pie. Um, the one good thing that came out of the Super League was that it seemed, at least for a time, that there was an appetite for some level of change. Now, that bubble is well and truly burst. No one is talking about changing the top level of English football anymore. But there has to be wage caps. There has to be some sort of cap on, on spending in the Premier League, if it's ever going to change. But trying to get those things through with major clubs holding so much power in some of those boardrooms and some of those meeting rooms is is just fiction as far as I'm concerned so unfortunately I think football's just going to keep going until it bursts I think it's like you know any other market housing market whatever it's just going to keep going and going and going until one day it pops and then suddenly so many clubs beneath everyone are just going to go out of business and then the top end you're going to see floods of players suddenly wanting to leave this club that club um and the money's just going to keep moving around so you know I'd, I'd love to say that there's 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 a positive future for football but the bigger the pie gets, the more people want a slice of it. So I think it will just keep pouring money in, 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 in. Yeah, in,
0: exactly. No, I do agree with you. Let's talk a little bit about your club then, and and about Southampton and the direction that they're going in. What what's your kind of thoughts on what what might need to change over the course of the summer and indeed into next season? Because, like you said, your your club's kind of in that that pocket of clubs that maybe are just outside the sort of top five to six clubs. Um, certainly, in my opinion, well above the you know the relegation end or should be, let's put it that way, and they're kind of right on that brink of maybe you could push for Europe. Where in mid table can you get? What what needs to change, and and what's the general view of, of Saints fans at the moment, and, and where the club's headed?
1: Well, so the the, the big thing that that happened last season um, is that we had a takeover. Um, that takeover removed previous owner Gao Yisheng who was a Chinese investor who bought us, I believe, in 2017, literally a month before the Chinese government turned around and said, we don't want anyone investing in anything outside of China. So if you have a foreign investment, sell up, come back to China. So um, Gao basically bought us with a view of doing X, Y and Z with us. And then a month later, was told to don't put any money in. So for the past four years, we've not been able to compete in the transfer market. We've had to sell to buy. It's meant that we've had to sell player like Danny Ings for example for 30 million to then finance the 15 million acquisition of Adam Armstrong and we have to bet that Adam Armstrong will hit the ground running and replace the goals that Danny Ings has just has just disappeared with Now that didn't happen last season um I think Danny Ings got eight uh, somewhere around 20 goals for us the season prior and then last season Adam Armstrong got two or three um these things have been happening for a while now because we've been operating on a shoestring so we sell a player we buy someone in brand new who needs two or three years to develop but by that point, we're falling behind because Aston Villa suddenly comes along and they're able to spend fifty million on this player or thirty million on that player. Wolves are investing thirty million on a new midfielder, and then here we are milling around with a seven million pound signing that's going to be really good in three years, but right now it's making a lot of silly mistakes like Ibrahim Diallo. So, the big change that we've had in the last season is that we had a takeover, and now we're now owned by a company called Sport Republic, who are spearheaded by um, a Serbian billionaire. I think he is called Dragan Solak. Um, but he's also supported by Rasmus Ankerson, who you may remember from Brentford, who pioneered that kind of moneyball style of bringing in a player for cheap, make them really good, sell them for a lot more, invest that money into brand new younger players. Um, there's also a third name whose name escapes me, but those are the two major players that we need to know about for, this, for the purposes of this story. Um, so with Sport Public now in charge, it means that we've got a lot more, well, I'd say a lot more, we've got more money to spend. Um, what it, like I say, what it used to be is that we'd have to sell our Danny Ings in order to then go and pick up our £15 million player. Already this summer, we've spent, I think, somewhere around £25 million on two players. One was Gavin Bazunu, the Irish goalkeeper who I'm a huge fan of. Um, and the other was a uh, centre-back who I'd never heard of until we were linked with him called Bella Kochap, who came from Bochum in Germany. Um, they're both, I think, somewhere around 10 to £15 million signings. Now, those are deals that we couldn't have done last season because we would have had to have sold first whereas this season, we've just been able to get done. So the big thing for us this season, at least, is the fact that we now have owners in charge that recognise that this squad needs an overhaul, that it needs money spent on it, and that for as good as Ralph haasen has done with that thin budget since he walked in in 2018, um, he needs more support. He needs more money. He needs a better squad of players. He needs a more diverse squad of players. Nearly all of our attacking midfielders played the exact same way. Um, Redmond and Elianusi, just two names to come off the top of my head. Uh, Gineppo as well. And Gineppo's not been a stand out since we bought him um so the the ownership have basically said this squad needs an overhaul and they also said that our backroom squad our backroom team sorry needs an overhaul we sacked three coaches because they were all goalkeeping coaches and they were basically acting as our assistant managers and first team coaches they did very good jobs but they are goalkeepers they were not fully qualified in the the realms of attacking football defending football you know etc so ralph has now got a new number two um called ruben sellers who came in from copenhagen i believe. Um, he's the assistant manager that has been credited with them winning the, winning the league last season and turning their fortunes around I think they lost like something, like 64 goals a season um, the previous year and then he came in and they cut it down to something like 30 odd so his, his credentials seem pretty good but um, under Sports Republic we've now got a new backroom staff which is still being added to it sounds like we're closing in on Joe Shields who's the Youth Academy um, scout and recruiter at Manchester City it sounds like we're bringing him in to be our first team recruiter um, that sounds like it's nearly done. So the backroom staff is being overhauled. The on-field playing staff is being overhauled. Like I said, two signings so far. Rumours are that we're after 10-plus players going out because players like Theo Walcott, like Nathan Redmond, uh, like Jan Bednarak, um, these are players that are just not developing or have already reached a peak, um, and we need to move on to get their get their wages free, et cetera. So this is a huge summer for us. Um, the summer has started pretty well with the two signings that we've got in. We've been linked to some very exciting names, um, the question marks at the moment are, A, how many more can we bring in? How many more do we need to bring in? And B, do we keep hold of James Will Prass? Because if we don't, that's a huge keystone lost from this squad that right now can't afford to, new, to lose another one after losing Danny Ings last year.
0: Yeah, I wondered about uh, J.D. Ruppie, because he, he's definitely one that whenever people say about, like, like Calvin Phillips, we were talking about in a minute, maybe when he's going to Manchester City, and there's always that that sort of, batch of midfielders and it's usually Declan Rice, James wall Kelvin Phillips. Those are the sort of three that are talked about in that um, scenario. Say what it does make me feel old there, Theo Walcott, he must, he must be like mid thirties now, must not he? He's Which makes me feel incredible. I think. 33. Yeah. Good God. Oh, it's nuts. Um, I'm going to like the blue touch paper here slightly. Cause I just wanted to ask a question cause it's relevant to, to where we are now. Loki wanted to, wanted me to ask you what your th- thoughts are on, on that Letizia. Um, I think it's probably fair to say that some of his views have been, um, how can I put this delicately, slightly out there, I think it's fair to say, somewhat controversial. Um, I think I'm right in saying that he left Sky as a result of these views or he was sort of politely asked to, to move on. He, he does he was, continue. Uh,
1: he was also removed as one of our ambassadors after was that. Was he
0: instant. really? Okay, I must admit I didn't know that. What What is it? I mean, do, do you feel like this is just the classic case of kind of older guy maybe had these views for many years and all of a sudden because of social media it's leaked out now um or is it just a case that he's just kind of had a funny five minutes or <laughs> is it, what, what do you make it does it tarnish your kind of thoughts about him as a as a club legend because on the pitch he's always going to be that
1: yeah so I'll, I'll preface this by saying that i got into football pr- properly in 2003 so i missed the era. i think i just missed it Um, So I've obviously seen all the highlight packages. My granddad has told me a thousand stories. I know how good Matt Letizier is slash was for Southampton. So, you know, I've got no ill will towards the man. He single-handedly kept us up for many seasons and stayed with us when he could have moved on. So he's he's always going to be a club legend, even if I didn't get to see him play myself. Um, However, my number seven would always be Ricky Lambert. That's the one I grew up with. Um, He took us up through the leagues in the same way that Matt Latiz did, became an absolute icon for us. And in the same way that Matt Latiz did, ended up spouting some bizarre uh, conspiracy theory about vaccines in the end as well, but that's another story. Um, As for Latiz, though, I mean, I think uh, it's it's always difficult because you you want to say that you can split the personal from the professional and you can look at the player that did all of this thing from your club, but you can also see him for the person that he is behind the camera. The thing is, I don't know what he's like behind the camera. I don't know a damn thing about Matt Letizier as, as a bloke. What I do know is that he has a very strange way of interacting with social media. What I do know is that I think... I think some of the stuff he he comes out with is genuinely meant to just be thought provoking. And I'm just asking questions and seeing what the answers are and blah, blah, blah. And then he feels like he strikes a nerve and goes, ah, there, I have found a solution because I now know that this thought antagonizes this people. That's an interesting point. I think he genuinely does it because he's just spitball. He's just just asking questions. I think in his mind, that's all he's doing. The problem is that when someone tries to sit him down and say, right, the question you've just asked is very, very unpopular, controversial, is flat out incorrect. The conclusion that you've reached is wrong. He's not interested in that answer. He's just interested in, oh, that's that's funny that you say that. Does that mean that it's actually something else going on? Do you mean you're paid by the Illuminati to have that view?" And it's just like, I think he just gets himself in these weird rabbit holes. I, I I've muted him on Twitter a long time ago. Like I say, he's not my number seven at Southampton as much as he is a club legend and I will always respect what he did for the club, but for what he's doing on Twitter now, I think it comes genuinely from his perspective, from a place of just asking questions, but I can't defend any of the stuff that that man says. As soon as I saw him tweeting comparisons to the Holocaust, um, yeah. when he was talking about vaccines and stuff, I was like, right, I'm done. You know, I can't, I can't deal with Matt Letizia anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm not in the mood to deal with any of these kinds of conspiracy theories. So yeah. it's bizarre. It's, it's strange that someone who did, who moved around so along the football field and headed so few balls is is that mad at this age but i think i think it genuinely comes from a place of curiosity but he just doesn't know when he's found doesn't know when he's found his answer he keeps asking questions even though you've already got the answer stop asking questions about this it's you know you've got the wrong answer he just keeps going so
0: yeah yeah down the proverbial rabbit hole um speaking of rabbit holes let's talk a little bit about kind of where we are right now in terms of we're what june 26th um we're in the midst of one of those uh, one of those wonderful things called a transfer window um which is i was reminiscing with a few of the abw guys the other day about um this probably even slightly before your time but the the days of teletax you know you'd run home from school page 302 uh, and you'd see like what the headline was and uh, or, or people coming up on the streets or newspapers maybe even guys huddling around a, a tv in Dixons to see what the latest sports headlines were it's all very different now you know you've got the likes of Fabrizio Romano is, is the one that jumps to mind um, David Ornstein from a, an Arsenal perspective as well where they break these, these stories it's all kind of all done really before the player has has completed the paperwork you don't get many stories like I don't know if you remember the David Unsworth one years ago where he was he went halfway down that I think he signed for Aston Villa and in the same day he kind of unsigned from them and signed for back for Everton or via West Ham it was one of those where he signed for like three different clubs in one day very mental. But, That's me, by. oh, it's a, it's a bizarre story. Look it up. But um, there's the, the the modern day is everybody is is salivating over a transfer story um, and it does feel like it's quite a big summer for a lot of clubs. I kind of touched on it earlier on, but Manchester City—they've added Erling Haaland. We kind of knew that was coming. Calvin Phillips looks like the next one onto the onto the sort of the group there, um, and Smart Cucurella looks like another one that they're going to they're going to bring in. You've got Chelsea kind of quietly shipping off Romelu Lukaku after blowing their entire transfer budget on him being the next greatest thing to come back last summer. We we've heard tonight that it appears the Gabriel Jesus deal to Arsenal is is all but done, if not done, um, which is going to be another sort of marquee signing. And then Liverpool have arguably added quality while shipping one out. What what's your kind of view on where the market is this summer in particular and, and some of those major deals that we have seen? Um and maybe just touch on the clubs that have been not active. I I look at one certain club in Manchester, for example. How how do you sort of see the transfer business now, and is it important that clubs go out and get these deals done early, like so many of, of them have done this this summer?
1: Yeah, I, I think Manchester City's business so far has been very very exciting for for them, not for me because I think they're going to absolutely paste us every time we play them next season. Um, but I think, I think Manchester City's business has been, you know, as, as far as perfect windows going on, I think you can do much better than the window they're they're apparently having um, if they get Kukurella and the Phillips over the line. Um, the transfer window that I'm or the 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 club that I think is having one of the best transfer windows right now, and I say this without meaning to kiss arse, but honestly, Arsenal's transfer business looks pretty good from where I sit. Um, I don't know all the players that are coming in. Like, I I don't know anything about Vieira, who's just signed. I've never seen him play. But it sounds very encouraging that Arsenal went into this summer transfer window with, I want this player, this player, this player, and you've already got, like what, three through the door with potential of two more, I think I've read in the papers or read online. So that's very encouraging. To get players in early is is always the best thing for, for any club in a transfer window. Um, I mean, Liverpool losing Mane was always going to be a big, a big problem for them at some point. Um, I was surprised it came this year. If I am honest, mm-hmm. I didn't didn't think Mane would want to leave right now, but equally, he's won his Champions League, he's won his Premier League. Um, it was probably the time of well, what else can I do here? Um, Darwin Nunes is a name that I know, like just by reputation more than anything else, but he sounds like a very good replacement there. Um, the, I mean, it, it feels to me like this this summer window is starting to make up for some of the COVID windows we had. And I know, I know spending never really stopped during those COVID windows and some of the multi-millionaire clubs were still churning out stupid amounts of money. But it feels like, to me, this is the first window since COVID hit where players are moving around for normal, quote, unquote, normal amounts of money. And we're seeing the kind of deals that clubs are willing to sanction because they can afford to lose this player because they're not going to lose 12 players to COVID next weekend and suddenly need to make sure they've got their reserves available to call cool up. So this feels like the first normal summer window we've had for about a year and a half now. Or um, well, you know what I mean? Normal window, not necessarily because yeah. there's only been one. Um, but yeah, if, if it was like the the, the transfer of market is starting to bounce itself out again. They um, like say one of the more interesting transfer windows is Man United, and the fact that they've not made any significant move for any significant player right now tells me that either <laughs> everyone's turning around to them and going, "Well, I got better offers elsewhere," or <laughs> that right now the main priority is getting people out. I don't know if Ten Hag has had a chance to see the entire squad yet because of the way that whole layers are broken and some players off on international duty with the, with the Nations League and stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the fact that May United are inarguably one of the teams that needs the most work this summer and however many, how many weeks in, I think we're four or five weeks in now, still have not made any seismic moves. I'd be surprised if Christian Eriksen doesn't end up there. That seems like a bit of a no-brainer. Um, but outside of that, I've barely heard any names. The only other name I've heard was Timber, who it sounds like... Um, Louis van Gaal got in the ear of and potentially uh, told him not to go there. So, you know, it's, it's uh, <laughs> nice to know some people never change. But, um, yeah, I mean, the summer travel window, like I say, for me, it feels like the first window in a while that has felt post-COVID. And I think there's yeah. going to be more money splashing around, but why Matt United have not got the <laughs> checkbook out, I don't know.
0: Yeah, so we're when um, Frankie Diolga is the other, the other one that seems mm. to be... Um, doing the rounds at the moment sounds like he needs a lot of
1: convincing though from what i've read. yeah
0: yeah it really does doesn't it What well, what did you make of speaking of man united what, what did you make of that that sort of leaked situation of this the new i forget the guy's name um the, the chap who's come in as their new the new um woodward i can't remember his name i'll have to look yeah, it up but um he sort of was, was caught quote unquote um on the by by fans sort of um recording him on his phone and i was listening to a journalist uh, a manchester journalist and, and he was basically saying um he doesn't really believe that 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 this guy wasn't aware of what was happening because the first thing you would do he said he said like meeting them in a pub was risky in itself but he knows why he's done that because he's, tr- he's trying to sort of curry that oh, i'm one of you lads you know we want to we want to be for the fans and he gets that but it's like the first thing you would do, and you having been through university, I guess you would know as well about being aware of your surroundings when in journalistic circles. Surely, the first thing you do is you say, right, lads, phones on the table, face up. Yeah.
1: You know. On the record, off the record,
0: yeah. Exactly, yeah. Um, so, do you think this is kind of a slightly clever PR move on his behalf to sort of almost do that, we're Man United, we can flex, we've got the money, you know, we are gonna do these things. But then equally does it represent a bit of a risky factor because if they don't get the players they need, however good a coach Ten Hag is, getting a tune out of McTominay, Jones and McGuire is not easy for any coach, really, is it?
1: Yeah, well that's the thing, is if you've got no good news to share as someone working in football, then you should just keep your mouth shut up, because football fans are only after the good news. Um, if there if there is an attempt to try and curry favour with fans, I, c- I can see why you do it. Just like in a pub setting, I think you're just having a laugh with your mates and just giving them the, you know, giving them the polite brush off. Of course, we're doing things in the background. Of course, we're going to spend hundred million pound on three players. Um, but equally, if it's going to go out, you know, in public, then suddenly you've written yourself a very big check that he now has to go in cash. And uh, unfortunately, fans are very quick to follow rumour. Um, you'll often see, you know, even. Uh, the, the, one of the Twitter accounts I follow for Southampton is called um, Saints Extra, and at the top of their Twitter page, they have a pinned tweet that kind of shows like a tier list of the sources across the summer window. So in, the, in tier one, is like Adam Blackmore, who's our local journo, and uh, The Athletic, because the guy who comes to The Athletic is very, very reliable. And then down the bottom, it's like talk Sport, The Daily Mail, etc. <laughs> so even though they've got that tier system that everyone can click on, and they can go, okay, well, this story just came from Tuto Sport, and they can go to that thing and go, okay, that's tier three, tier four. It doesn't matter who spreads the rumour. As soon as it comes out, everyone just goes, oh, my God, that's a terrible deal. That's a great deal. That's that's whatever. You know, football fans believe any old rumour that comes out over the, over the summer market because they're desperate to just hear news about their club. They just want to hear some form of good news. So if you're going to go out in public and start saying stuff that's then going to be caught on camera, you know, you're writing a big cheque. And I, I can only hope yeah. that United have got the money in the bank to cash it. But um, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, I agree. It's Richard Arnold, the CEO. Uh, that was the chap I couldn't remember his name of. And um, on the sort of similar theme... What what is what's what's your sort of take on on the modern day football journalistic approach? Um, you know, how, how do you feel about it? Like we we live in an era as we touched on earlier on, where where everything is on social media, you know, somebody says or does something controversial or whatever it is, something leaks, you know, it's all over the the front page of of Twitter or, you know, Instagram, Facebook, whatever it may be. TikTok, I suppose. I'm a bit old for that, but, you know. Um, The the news does not stay quiet for long. It's straight out there. It's bang, it's crash, it's wallop. Any controversy, whether it be Hollywood celebrity or football transfer, it's out there. And there's also this kind of um ironically us doing a podcast there's also this kind of this ability now where everyone can be a podcaster or a a media personality you know everyone has a has a smartphone these days everyone has the ability to create content make content whatever it may be and there's almost like this thirst for everyone to be the next big journalist or the next big sort of star or or uh, influencer within within whatever chosen field they go for. And football's no different. You know, everybody, you mentioned Fabio Vieira, everyone suddenly were, was an expert in Portuguese football, which always makes me chuckle because I'm 99% sure 90% of those people haven't even seen the guy, let alone, you know, have formed an opinion on him. Does, does that sort of almost sour your your experience when you were at university and actually learning like the craft of journalism or the fact that people can just come in now and, and almost just pretend to, to have knowledge of that field?
1: So that there's there's a couple of answers to that question. The first thing I would say is that generally speaking I find, and this might just be, be me in my bubble, um, but generally speaking I find the standard of football journalism has actually risen a little bit in the last couple of years and I think it's risen because of the introduction of The Athletic. And the reason I think The Athletic has risen the standard of football journalism is that The Athletic proved that there is a niche for people who just really love football and who really love tactics and stories and they want to know what's going on behind the scenes in an honest way. The challenge is the way they think about things that, you know, explains things to them in a non-dumbed in a non in a down kind of way. That's not the correct phrase, but you know what I mean. Um, I would actually say that the standard of football journalism has increased with the introduction of The Athletic. Now, The Athletic had the problem that every media platform had a couple of years ago, which was there was no news to report because of COVID. And at that point, The Athletic kind of became, right, we need any story we can get. And it, it dropped in its standard. But when football was actually free flowing, you get a lot of stuff on The, on the Athletic that is actually very, very well written. Very well researched and clearly written by people who a understand football, b understand tactics, and c understand how to write. So personally, I would say the standard of football journalism has increased as a whole. Because what it's also done is it's had that trickle down effect where other newspapers have gone, okay, well the athletic proves that people do actually want honest to god tactical insight on things. Um, I don't know the last time I heard, and again this could to be me in my bubble because I don't have Sky, so I don't I don't watch the Sky I don't watch Sky Sports news that often. But I don't know the last time I saw the word Sky Sports News understands on twitter that that phrase seemed to have completely fallen off the cultural zeitgeist about two or three years ago when it was everywhere where sky couldn't tweet anything without it starting with sky sports sources understand and everyone started taking the piss out of it because it was like well sky sports sources understand absolutely nothing because half these stories never go anywhere but i don't remember the last time i saw that consistently on twitter so i would say that the knock-on effect of the athletic is the sky then went oh actually people just want people just want what's happening you know they're they're happy to wait as long as they get what's get what's Now, that could be me and my bubble. I'm sure that if you're a fan of a top four club, you get to read a lot more weird rumours than I do at Southampton because we don't often feature in the paper because we're not sexy enough. Whereas Arsenal sign, you know, Ronaldinho from a couple. Or was it Blackburn that wants to do Ronaldinho when they got yeah. their takeover? Yeah. You know, th- those stories are very sexy. But Southampton interested in Bella Kochat, that, you know, that's not making the rumour page of any newspaper, right? So it might be that as a fan of a big club, you get to see some of the absolute drivel that gets published in stuff like the Daily Mail and wherever else. But generally speaking, I'd say that journalism on the whole has has improved in in the world of football. In terms of my own interest in doing um, sports journalism and how like the the accessibility of media has potentially influenced that, I think I think it's kind of a, a double edged sword. So on the one hand, you get any old idiot that just wants to jump on a phone and say I saw Danny Ings at Westgate, he's coming back, you know, and everyone suddenly gets on it and goes mad for it. On the other hand, you see some genuinely very well-intentioned people who want to start podcasts or platforms or YouTube channels or whatever, because they do passionately follow their area. They do want to become an expert in their field. Um, when we signed Gavin Bizzunu, um, I wanted to get a Manchester City angle on, on on the move. So I went to YouTube and I found a, a YouTube channel that I can't think of the name of, it's on my head now, but just a just a Man City fan who's just sitting at home doing his own little YouTube video series, just talking about Gavin Bazunu. And he knew what he was talking about very clearly. He knew what he was talking about. He was talking about distributions. He was talking about percentages of, of saves of parries of this kind of stuff. He clearly done his research on Gavin Bazuni and how he compares to Edison. So there's very good content creators out there, but you're always gonna get chances. You're always gonna get someone that just wants to jump on and publish a 10 second video just to drop a hand grenade into the middle of the twit into the middle <laughs> of the twist sphere and then see what happens. So it's a double-edged sword. You will you will see more talent rise to the top because anyone can just jump in and just start talking. You know, it's the same with podcasting. Would Would any of the people that have ever been on AEW, you know, would you guys have ever had the chance to to, you know, go out there and talk about football in a way that you have on this platform? You know, would the would avenues of journalism have been open for you? Maybe not. But through it, you've been able to prove that you do know your stuff, you are passionate about your, your your club and your subject area, and people come and listen to you. So it's a double-edged sword. You will get talent rise to the top, but you also get chances, and that's just just part of life in any field. But certainly in journalism, you know, everyone wants to be able to say they were the one that broke a story. That's why I got into journalism in the first place, because I wanted to have at least one story that I could be on my deathbed saying, yeah, I was the one that broke that. You know, so there's there's always going to be chances and people that are gonna just going to want to mess around. But I, I, Honestly, I think it's a double-edged sword. You'll get some very talented people and some people that just i'm um, worth i'm um, worth watching but you know, worth well,
0: yeah i think through the abw platform i mean I, I can think of two probably that that have gone on to to do really good things um one is uh, our, our very own simon simon collings who you know he was already a journalist really before he came onto our platform but uh, i think i think even he would say that he crafted his um his communication skills a bit with podcasting with us and then his natural ability and journalism took him to where he is now. I think, I think it's the standard he's with now, but he is a, you know, a bona fide journalist. Um, and the other one is Tom, Tom Cantone, who did, you know, who was with us for a long period of time and then eventually sort of had those opportunities through like places like talk sport and whatnot to, to, to grow his own brand and has now got his own successful channel and and produces content on a, a far more regular basis than us i can't deny that he I works mean,
1: hard that that lad but um one, one other thing i can add to this conversation i was reading an article the other day about um, how gen z are not interested as much in uh creating their own sort of twitter personality as much mm-hmm. as millennials were um you might see a slowly Decrease in the amount of people that are on Twitter actually trying to create their own Twitter brand. You'll always find people that you know exception to the rule, but you might find that in next couple of years that trend starts to dissipate, and you'll start to see people instead reach out to more platforms like this to try and get in with you guys rather right. than set up on their own and you know make their yeah. own channel, make their own whatever. Their own I, I don't know on. if that's going to come to fruition, but if, if Gen Z are now heading in that direction, you might find that some of these influencers start to start to dissipate.
0: Yeah, we've had, I think over the years when we've done this, we've had a few channels reach out to us and say, you know, like if somebody signed an Arsenal player, somebody's messaged Danny and said, oh, can we nab one of your guys to talk about player X or player Y? And for a while we dabbled in getting sort of rival fans on to preview games. And it all just comes down to time. It's just hard to, unless you do it full time and you make a living out of it, it's hard to commit to doing as many shows. But you mentioned like Sky, they, they definitely need to become more relevant. They seem to be having a lot more um podcast people on don't they that sort of you know link feeds and um oh they are danny's just put on the screen now we had bbc and talk sport last season danny forgot to reply it's (laughs) just the most danny thing ever really you know just uh we we could have like bill gates say yeah i'd like to fund you up a brand new station and danny be like oh yeah i'll deal with that and then he just goes to bed and forget about it but so so basically we're pretty much you know we're elite and we're famous it's just that danny forgot that's all but um no we've always we've always believed in doing this for fun um, let's talk about uh, a bit about EFL then. so your um I th- would it be fair to say like, so I'm an Arsenal fan, but I love French football. So I guess from your standpoint, it would be like you're a Southampton fan, but your your biggest love alongside that is EFL. What's your kind of um thoughts on on the upcoming season and how it's transitioning? because, like you said, you know I, I try and get across as many different leagues as I can throughout a season. And I really enjoyed, particularly towards the end of last season, I enjoyed a lot of the championship games. That I just, you know, I sat there and thought, oh, there's nothing, nothing really on. I'll I'll take in this game, and it got to the stage towards the end of the season where I was actively choosing championship sort of games over Premier League games or, you know, Serie A, whatever it might be. What is it that um, that you're most looking forward to in in the coming season? And and are there any clubs that we should be actively sort of thinking that is the next big club to come forward? or in maybe Derby's case,
1: the next big club to fall. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's always a championship. The championship's my favourite division in the world. Whenever there's a new season rolling around, I look forward to just what will happen in the championship. I said this every single year that we did Football Hipsters, that there's, there's always one in the championship. And that was never more true than it was last season with Nottingham Forest, who came out of absolutely nowhere, were looking odds on for relegation at the start of last season. And then uh, Steve Cooper, Mark Cooper, Mark Cooper's Steve. the yeah, Mark Cooper's the uh, the other one that's been pilling around in League Two. Yeah, um, Steve Cooper is the is the Nottingham Forest manager who came in after leaving Swansea and uh walked into Nottingham Forest, who as if you follow championship football even even tangentially for the past 10-12 years, you'll know the Nottingham Forest have consistently made a habit of just tossing all their good work away with six weeks to go. And Steve Cooper walked into that job and just in an instant, seemed to make it look like the the easiest job in the world and suddenly got them promoted to the Premier League. Um, So the championship is always my favourite division because you just never know. There's there's always one that just comes out of nowhere that does something incredible and you just didn't predict at the start of the season. I wouldn't have had Nottingham Forest anywhere near the top six start of last season. Um, But in terms of what's coming in in the Football League, the reason I just turned away to make a note is because I reminded myself of another story from uh, from the Football League that I wanted to, to mention um, before we jumped on, I looked through the to look through the tables just to look at some of the clubs and some of the stories that I just can think of off the top of my head and still manage to forget that Mark Hughes is currently at Bradford. So what the hell is <laughs> going to happen there? <laughs> you know, I think that's his level. But yeah. he, he had about 13, 15 games for them last season and didn't do spectacularly. He's now going to have his first full season with Bradford. And I don't even know what to expect with Mark Hughes at Bradford because he, he, he had an interview I think, uh, last week where he basically said that after a couple of years away from football, he started trying to apply for, for jobs again. And they basically said, you've been out of football too long. We don't want you. So he was looking at Premier League clubs, championship clubs, and they just basically said, no, you've, you've been away too long. We, we're not interested. So he had to go to League Two with Bradford. Um, now, he says in his interview that he's up for the challenge and that it's not about the, the stature of the club or where they are in the divisions and in the pyramid, blah, blah, blah. I'm willing to bet he'll jump at the, the chance to move away from Bradford <laughs> if someone comes in for him. But uh, I completely forgot about that story until you started asking me that question. I went, oh, my God, League Two. I forgot to mention Mark Hughes. Um, so that's, that's the reason I love the EFL is there's so many stories like that. So if you look at League Two, there's Mark Hughes at Bradford. i got no idea which way that's going to go. I don't know if he's going to be like when Alan Pardew came to Southampton in 2009 when we were in League One. His next job was Newcastle in the Premier League and he got them to fourth or fifth, or whatever, whichever um, position he ended up in, got them European football. You know, Mark Hughes could have a a renaissance like that. He could end up being picked up by a top-end championship, low-end Premier League club if it goes well. If it goes badly, he's basically out of football for the rest of his life because no one wants to have an ex-Premier League manager that then went to League Two and couldn't get the job done. So Mark Hughes at Bradford is a fascinating story that I just can't predict which way it's going to go. You mentioned Derby in League One. It's easily the biggest story that's going to come out of League One this season. Um, I read today that um, a a company called Cloes Development or Close Development um, have had a bid accepted for the club and the suggestions they could have tied up by Wednesday. If they do, then thank God, because Derby are you know, that close to going out of business and have been for basically six, eight months now. Um, obviously, Wayne Rooney left and resigned a couple of days ago as well. So Liam Rosenar, I believe, is the current interim manager. Um, if they do end up bringing in, well, if someone does end up buying the club, do they keep Liam Rosenard Do they go in for someone else so they can have the money to do that? I believe they've currently got five players on the books five first-team players, everyone else's youth academy. So if they're going to turn around that squad, they've got six weeks to do it. That's a lot of players you've got to sign in six weeks with a new chairman, potentially a new manager, and all the upheaval that's going to come from that. That's a huge job for everyone involved, Derby County. And I don't know which way that's going to go, because they might even be here next week for a start. But let's keep our fingers crossed if they do get a buyout. I don't know how much money that person's going to have. I don't know who's going to be interested in joining them initially. I don't know who they're going to be able to convince. So... Literally, Derby County could go any direction. They could come straight back up or they could go down again. So I've got no idea which direction Derby are going in. Um, and League One also this year has got Forest Green Rovers and uh, Port Vale up in League One. I don't remember the yeah. last time Port Vale were in League One, but that's a huge jump for them. Uh, for as long as I've really been into the EFL, they've basically been League Two. So that's a, a nice moment for Port Vale to be League One. And Forest Green Rovers, you know, their their story is the, the, the first green club in football in, in England has been a bit of a, I don't know if it's a fairy tale, but it's been one of those just oddity clubs and oddity stories that you kind of tune into every now and again when the BBC unleashes another, oh, Forest Green Rovers only serve vegan burgers, and everyone goes, oh, I don't (laughs) want to do that. You know, the the wooden stadium and stuff like that, you only hear about them when they do something weird. But they're in League One this season. That's going to be a fascinating story. Do they have enough firepower to stay up? Are they going back down? Um, And the higher they rise, the more they're, uh, the more prominent they become the more their message spreads you know how many more league one fans are now going to go to forest green rovers on, on the way getting out, yeah i really like the size of this i really like the way this comes together i've been interested in my club doing something like this can they get up again can they get to the championship can they get that media coverage and spread their message that way so i think forest green rovers is a very interesting story from league one and the championship i mean there's probably more stories i'm forgetting here but i've got five i think so you've got company at burnley his first major job in England since Anderlecht he managed previously yep. um, and Burnley are in an absolute state because of the way that um, uh, I can't think of the name of the guy that owns them now I want to say Alan Price but I could be miles off um, either way the the, the the guy that bought Burnley basically leveraged a loan against the club um, I think it was like a £60 million loan that the club would only have to pay back half of it or a small amount of it something like £20 million um, if they got relegated so Burnley still have to pay that loan back to their new owner while making sure their club is in a position to fight for promotion again, because that parachute payment is not going to last them too long. They've already lost a huge number of their first team. Nick Pope left this week to Newcastle. Um, I'm sure there'll be some more departures. Ben Mee and James Tarkovsky have obviously gone as well. Um, I've already seen they've hired, they've bought someone from MK Dons, whose name escapes me. Um, and they're also linked with someone from Oxford. So it looks like they're going for much smaller deals from lower league clubs. I have no idea which direction Burnley are going in. I think is, from what I've seen from Andelect at least, a good steady hand, but I don't know if he's going to have the chops to get them straight back up or if he's going to have the players to get them straight back up. Um, the other huge one that I'm just, I can't predict at the moment is Lawrence Bassini, uh, currently in talks to take over at Blackburn, uh, not Blackburn, um, Birmingham. Yeah. Um, if you know the name Lawrence Bassini, you basically know he's mental. He shouldn't be allowed anywhere <laughs> near a football club. I think he previously owned Watford and ran them into the ground. He tried to buy Bolton and very nearly got his hands on the club until uh, he basically couldn't prove his funds. Um, he's been interested in dozens of EFL clubs and not been able to get over the line it sounds like Birmingham is finally the one he's going to get his hands on he keeps saying he's going to be there for three seasons and only three seasons he's going to put the money in he's going to get them to the Premier League and then after three seasons he's gone and that's all he wants to do in football i got no idea if that's true but the fact he was on a podcast before his deal was even signed before he'd even got all the paperwork printed let alone signed he was on a podcast saying yeah I'm going to sadly bow you when I take over and I'm going to go after this manager he's mental he shouldn't be allowed anywhere near a football club but it's typical Birmingham that they're going to end up with Lawrence Bassini. So I have no idea which direction that club's going in. Um, Blackburn Rovers' new manager, Tony Mowbray, left after, I think, uh, five, six years or whatever it was. He had a very long stint at Blackburn. Um, finally got them up to kind of playoff contenders. He left last season. They've now got in John Dahl-Thompson, who I know is ex-player. I don't know his managerial record. But, again, fascinating story because after last season, they should be able to build on that. But brand-new manager, brand-new environment for him to be in. I've got no, no idea which direction Blackburn are going to go in. Sunderland, now back in the championship, it's really nice to see them having their little revival, finally got out of League One. I don't know if they're going to have enough to stay up, um, but Alex Neal is a very good manager at that level. He can do it, but whether or not he's got players to do it, I just don't know. And the other one is uh, old cabbage Ed, uh, Steve Bruce at uh, West Brom. <laughs> Again, I, I have no idea which direction that's going in because Steve Bruce is not a good manager anymore. He was 5, 10, 15 years ago, but he's not He's not now. The When he walked in at West Brom, they were in the playoff positions and they ended up like 10th. Yeah, he I'm surprised absolutely he crashed it. Absolutely yeah. crashed it. Um yeah. So I, I don't know which direction they're going in. I know they brought in Jed Wallace from uh, from Millwall, who is a very good player at that level. Um, but I genuinely no idea which way Steve Bruce's season is going to go because again, I think that's probably his last job in football. If that goes badly, um, yeah, he's already said that he was thinking about retiring before he took the West Brom job. If that goes badly, I don't see another club picking him up. So, no. I mean, th- if you you asked me originally why I love the EFL stuff like this. There's so many stories, so many things I just can't predict. And then yeah. I look at the Premier League and I go, well, yeah, well, I know where everyone's going to roughly fish." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's
0: that's
1: yeah. what I like
0: to hear even I, even I glanced twice at the Ondal-Thomason one because I, I do remember him as a player. Um, I do remember thinking, cool, that, that's a bit of a gamble um, in terms of uh, manager appointments. Sometimes they work out and sometimes they don't. But Danny's put in the chat there, Watford have, have let 27 players go, which is kind of nuts. I see the... The story of the Ben Foster fallout this week. That was that captured my interest because obviously he's got his YouTube channel now and there's been a lot said about that um despite them utilising it and probably making money from it, they apparently then didn't like it and that's all ended a bit sour. So be interesting to see what happens with his next step. Um and Mr. Boblex um did ask if you had a favorite team uh, outside of Saints, I guess, in, in the EFL. Is it just about is there a specific team you, you kind of do like or is it just about the which one is the story at the time
1: yeah I mean the the nice thing about the EFL is it chops and changes so much right one of the reasons I love the championship so much is like I said at the the top of this podcast that you don't get the same winner every year if a team like Fulham comes along and they absolutely piss it like they did last season they go up you don't have to worry about them next year whereas in the Premier League I know Man City and Liverpool are going to absolutely trounce it and I'm stuck with that again and again and again and again Um, so generally speaking I don't form too many connections with the clubs in the EFL Um, I always had a bit of a soft spot for Nottingham Forest and I'm glad they've come up. very, I really hope they do well this season. I think they're going straight back down, but uh, I hope they give a good account of themselves because they're a very, very good, good yeah. outfit. Um, yeah. But I mean, there's there's always clubs that I've got soft spots for, if from just growing up. Bolton is one I always keep an eye on because I want Bolton to come back. Um, I want Blackburn to come back. Um, so yeah, there's always clubs that catch my eye. If if I if I had a second team, it would probably be Lille in France. Yeah. Interesting. Um, about uh, 2015, 16, when we were doing football hipsters. Um, I started trying to get into Liga football, and to do that, I kind of just started following one team. And like right, they're my team. I'm going to watch them every week, and we're going to see how they go. And I believe that season was the season where Leal were running into debt and had yes. to sell off basically all their players. And everyone that I knew from the time, like De Preville, ended up having to be sold on. And you know, um, so Leal were always one that I just had in the back of my head. They were, they were, the, I think one of the big first foreign teams I really heard about when I was getting into football. Um, I'd obviously heard about like you know Juventus, Barcelona, etc. But the season they won the league in like 2010, I believe it was 2008, 2010. Um, When they won the league, that was such a big story. I managed to break through my bubble at the time, which was just Southampton. Mm-hmm. Um And I have always had an affiliation with them since then. So I don't. I don't It's not like I watch Lille inside and out, but they've always a club that I've got got an eye on. Yeah. I follow them on Twitter, keep an eye on their results, even if I don't uh, watch them religiously. But I can't claim. Any glory for the recent title win because I didn't get <laughs> involved at the time. But, um, Came but yeah, back Lilla, and won it again. Yeah, Lilla yeah. Lilla and, a, top life, a bit of soft
0: football, and have a lot to do this summer as well. Another club that is going to go through a huge shake shakeup. Um, looks like Sven Botman in particular is off to Newcastle, so they're going to have to do a bit of rebuilding there as well. Um, before we take questions, just for the last five minutes or so, I, I do have to get your opinion on the the upcoming world cup and all that goes with it um my first guest talked to carl about this the other day and um you know we i think we sort of we covered a lot of a lot of how we sort of didn't like the the human rights element and that and i think that almost goes without saying but how do you feel like the the big picture here because obviously you, you you follow england and there's there's just so many so many weird things about this season upcoming. The fact we're going to have this break, even the fact that European leagues are actually going to have fixtures on Boxing Day, which never usually happens. You're like France, Spain, Italy, they shut down over Christmas. That's all changing. You're going to, surely, you're going to see squads with, or teams with bigger squads this this season. Maybe even transfers. They might be looking at certain players, or they're not an international yet. So we'll sign them so we're not going to lose them before the World Cup. What's your sort of view in general? Of this this World Cup upcoming and how it's going to affect football this season and maybe beyond.
1: Yeah, my my general view on the Qatari World Cup is that it should never have been granted to Qatar. It should have been stripped from Qatar when Sepp Blatter was removed from FIFA. We should have found a new host. We should not be going anywhere near Qatar. And uh, it's the one World Cup that no one wants to win because no one wants to be the one holding the trophy in the middle of their, you know, their big stadium in Qatar. Um, so it'll be England that wins it, and our second World Cup will be forever tainted as the one <laughs> that was yeah. held in Qatar. Um, yeah, as far as I can say, this World Cup is, is, is a black mark on, on FIFA and football in general, but money talks and it's it's too late to, 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 to walk that back as much as it should have been. So we now have to look at the actual practicalities of it. I think that uh, for English players in particular, it's going to be a stark contrast because obviously that time of year for us, it's freezing. In Qatar, it's going to be absolutely boiling. They're going to have a very hard time adjusting to that, I think. Um, from a more practical standpoint, from the way the season pans out, I think the fixture crunch is horrific just looking at it on paper let alone when you factor in European competitions cup competitions we've still got the the League Cup I think there's three rounds of the League Cup um, before maybe even four or five before we reach uh, before we reach the World Cup break then you factor in you know the European clubs are going to be going off to their you know various places around around Europe everyone's going to be begging for a local European one every English club's going to want Spain France Portugal no one's going to want to be going off to you know Israel Sweden etc um But I think you're going to see a lot of muscle injuries this season. (laughs) I think that's going to be the big thing, is uh, the amount of players that go down with muscle injuries, you're going to be seeing cramps in in November. And you're going to be wondering, well, how do these professional footballers get so many cramps? And it's like, fixture congestion. We wrote ourselves into a corner here with our uh, Qatari World Cup. And now we're going to have to deal with the consequences. My fingers are firmly crossed that this is the one and only time that we ever get this kind of World Cup. And enough people will go, that was terrible. That was awful. That interrupted the season. That killed players. That wasn't a good World Cup. Let's never do this again. Um, I'm hoping that that's the legacy of this World Cup, is that we're going to learn the lessons from it. It's never going to go to a club, uh, to a country like this again. And we're going to make sure they stay in the summer. Um, yeah. The problem with that, obviously, is, like I say, many talks. So there will always be another country that wants it. And I dare say Saudi Arabia is part of their Saudi 2030 or 2040 or 2050, whatever their project is called. I dare yeah. say they're going to want it at some point. So, you know, it's just what we have to live with. But I hope lessons are learned, even though I'm very pessimistic that they won't be.
0: Yeah, yeah, same. And um, you and I both, as uh, closet wrestling fans, we all, we know all about Saudis and their uh, interest in them. Um, yeah, one of events. the reasons I've stopped
1: watching WWE these days. Is the snuff <laughs> yeah. shows can't, I I can't, can't put but- my money towards them.
0: I don't blame you I don't blame you we, we've we got a question actually which is probably a good one um, to, to transition in before we finish which is from uh, Sky Sky Express? I'm going to go with Sky Express. Um, He says do you think that Newcastle are going to break into the top four with their silly money um, and I would just extend this question to say full stop because I think some people think that they might even do it next season which I think maybe is a bit of a bit of a push depending on who they still might sign but in the course of the next two to three years, you touched on it earlier on, you just see them as being a, another Man City and another team that is just going to inevitably end up in the top
1: four. I, I don't see how anyone that buys a club for that much money, who has that much money available, isn't willing to, to spend it on getting their club to, to the top end of the Premier League. Um, every, everything I heard from that Newcastle takeover sounds like it's another another Manchester City. Um, I said at the start of this podcast that Eddie Howe's probably not long for this world. So the reason I think that... Is because he is the Mark Hughes to Newcastle's Manchester City. Yeah. He is there to stabilise the club, to create the firm bedrock upon which they will then build their title chase. But as soon as they reach a point where they go, no, you've done well there, already, but you can't take us any further. You're not the man that's going to entice, uh, you know, someone like Orland. You're not going to be able to entice him away from a Manchester City. Or you know, if if the choice is Barcelona, Man United, Newcastle, we need a big name here to. To persuade those players to come here because the money alone might not be enough because they'll get that money elsewhere. Mm. Um, I think that he will get this season. Um, I can't remember what his contract runs out. I can't remember if it's the end of this season or the end of next. But I know it's I not. Think, a, I think it's two. I think I don't. Quite I know, I know it's that. not a long contract. But I had in my head it was eighteen months. But I could be wrong. Right. It could be. It could be two more seasons he's got. Yeah. Um, I think he will probably see out his contract um, and get Newcastle on that solid bedrock. I think they'll probably finish top ten this season. And they may be able to grab someone's ankle if Chelsea have a bad season or if May United have a bad season Betting in with Ten Hag. But I don't think they're getting top four this year. Um, but beyond that, I just don't see any way that Newcastle are not going to be spending their way into the top four at some point. But I think they're probably going to end up picking up Mourinho when he leaves Roma or Diego Simeone whenever he leaves um, Atletico Madrid or, you know, they'll they'll, they'll find a bigger name manager at some point and they'll go, no, he's our new shiny toy. He can get us where we need to. Eddie Howe is a great manager and Eddie Howe deserves a lot better than what he's going to get at Newcastle, I think. I'd love to be proven wrong because I think he's very talented and could do it himself, but I just don't see a world in which uh, any owner that's going to be willing to spend £100 million on a new striker is going to want Eddie Howe across the negotiating table when that same player is going to go to Barcelona and see Iniesta there. You know, I, I just don't I don't yeah. see that happening.
0: Yeah, I, I think the comparison Man City and the Hughes regime is exactly right. Um, you know, Mancini come in and, and even... Um, uh what's the mega like chap called? Pellegrini? 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 Yeah. He wasn't really sort of a huge name, was he? And even he got moved on when the bigger name became available. And yeah, I think you're absolutely right. They will probably go for a name at some point eventually. I just checked, actually, there's a, a story in in late May of this year which said that um Newcastle's supposed to be opening talks with Eliehalla over four million a year contract. Um do, do you do you think he do you think he knew going in like from his point of view because he he's been very clever to not say too much about the the money the saudi regime etc do you do you feel like he sort of looked at this and just thought you know what i probably will only be there for two years maybe three but it's a good opportunity to rebuild my name or or put myself back in the spotlight if i do a good job um even if i'm sacked if it's not for underperformance, his reputation will stay intact, will it? And by then, maybe who knows where the England managership might be? And do you feel like it's sort of a calculated gamble by him to take that job in the first place?
1: I think it is probably a calculated risk for anyone that takes that job, given given the ownership structure. Um, but it's a case of, will I get this opportunity elsewhere? And I think you know, if you ask uh, Eddie Howe, would he get the opportunity to manage a multi million multi billion pound club? The answer is probably no. He's not going to get picked up by Chelsea unless he does an amazing job at a, at a mid, mid-level club. Um, I think it's going to be a calculated risk for whoever comes in, either you know immediately when they first made the, made the takeover or further down the line when Eddie Howe goes. I think even Jose Mourinho will have to have a think about it because um, yeah. he'll see it as a very good project. And look at all this money I've got and I can go and do this, that and the other with it and I can really put my stamp on this team and I can make history with this club. But mm. that cloud is always going to be over whichever manager is there. Um, I think Eddie Howe is just squeaky enough to be able to walk away from it and for most people to kind of forgive him, mm. um, I think he's just nice enough for him to be at Newcastle for as long as he wants to be and everyone to kind of forget that he made Newcastle very good off the back of all of his money. And, you know, I don't want to denigrate how well he did this season with them because what, what he did with that squad, given where Steve Bruce left them, was already in itself very, very, uh, very, very encouraging. Mm. Um, but if he does up in a cup with them, I think anyhow Howe is just nice enough, just squeaky clean, just squeaky clean enough for people to go... Yeah, all right. Well, he won the FA Cup with Newcastle, but he still won the FA Cup, and we like him, so we'll give him another go. I think if Mourinho goes there, you'll obviously have people going, "Yeah, well, he only won the FA Cup because he was doing it with Saudi money." You know, I think yeah. that's, that's always going to be the trade-off. So, I, th- I think anyhow, we'll be all right whether he whether he stays there long-term or whether he only gets a couple of seasons. But yeah, it's going to be uh, it's going to be more a moral question for whoever goes in there. And uh, I mean, honestly, if the money's right, <laughs> where do your morals lie? I can't understand yeah, why well, anyone yeah. would would end up going there. But it's very easy for me to sit here and go oh it's incredibly immoral for the saudi <laughs> the saudi republic to own uh, to own Newcastle because I'm never going to see a penny of that money but um yeah. if I was being paid 40 grand a week to to manage them then yeah oh, 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 well, I can I could forget that for a little while but that's and how saudi have is... made their money and got themselves on the world stage so you know someone has to cycle eventually
0: yeah exactly and and this is and this is you know this is Newcastle i mean who knows which club's going to be next because you can bet your dollar that bottom dollar that somebody will be looking at another club at this point and thinking right who can we you know, whether it be an Everton or a Leeds or a whoever, you know, somebody is going to be marketable to come in with money as well. So it's yeah, it's kind of scary times. Um perfect. Well, we have reached our hour point, almost to the second. Um, so that seems like a, a perfect place to uh, to pause our time. And um, thank you. There is, there is the alarm. Thank you very much for your time, Ross. I really appreciate it. Um we are I think we're sort of planning this season to try and do a few more things like this, you know, a little bit of cross platformy bits and bobs. So um, naturally goes without saying that I'd love to have you back on again. But um, if people want to get in touch with you or just say hi to you or maybe ask you some bits about Southampton or whatever it might be, do you want to let people know where they can follow you Twitter-wise and that sort of thing?
1: Yeah, I've only got Twitter these days, but you can find me at Ross Bramble on Twitter. Um, if you're going to ask me football questions, please keep them light. If it's Southampton, I can give you a good answer. If it's EFL, I can give you a pretty good answer. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, if you're going to ask me football questions, yeah, don't don't expect me to know much about what's happening in France. But uh,
0: well, yeah. When we inevitably draw, like, I don't know, uh, Newport County away in the FA Cup, you just expect a barrage <laughs> of questions at that point then saying, uh, please, can you tell us all about the ins and outs of that team? So good luck with that. Um, perfect. Well, thank you for coming on, mate. Much appreciated. So Obviously, it's been been really fun to chat to you again. And uh, Danny's just put your handle on the screen there. So thank you ever so much for coming on um and of course to all of you listeners or indeed viewers we've got a few people in the live stream today so thank you for tuning in um you can find us on youtube of course if you do um do all that thing that danny says you know clicking the bell and subscribing and all that stuff it, it helps with algorithms and things i don't understand but yeah do give us a follow um we are also on twitch which um, not everybody will know but we are indeed so you can find us on that platform as well um, and of course keep an eye on our twitter for um Future releases because we will be doing some more of these uh, when I can get some more guests lined up. Uh, and I have been reaching out to ABW members, past and present, and indeed people who had nothing to do with ABW. So uh, keep an eye, and uh, we will be we will be on the move with more guests. So keep an eye on that, Ross. Thank you very much again, much appreciated. Thank you for having me on. You are very welcome. Uh, I have been Chris. I've been your host. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in. We have been a wonder one An Arsenal podcast with a twist, uh, ABW an hour with. So thank you very much for tuning in. We'll be back with more soon. Uh, Keep it Arsenal, keep it ABW, and take care of yourselves. Good night.